welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thank you for joining. Today I'm here with Sam from Roadrun. Roadrun is an independent company that Sam has set up in which he uses motorcycles instead of the conventional cars for runners to move around London with ease. This speeds up production times, lessens carbon emissions, and all around makes for a smoother running in production. Sam's going to talk a little bit about Roadrun today, but also his experiences as a runner in production, both TV and in commercial. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy. Um, okay, then let's crack straight into that then. Mm-hmm. So Sam, let's talk a little bit about um, how you've got into your role and how your day-to-day is running. I know you may not get so much free time, but uh, yeah, what's it like at the moment? Yeah, well, the free time's coming back a little bit nice. due to how quiet it is, which has been quite nice, to be honest, um, getting your work-life balance back. And uh, we talked about me going swimming the other day. That's been nice. Yeah, having just handsome you know. Court. Having a having a weekday to just go swim with your friends is quite nice, really. It's been a while. How do so, you find um, the summers in London? I know this year is a little bit different from most, but how how do you find? Oh, this it? is a weird one, eh? Because you're from London, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. so you've you've grown up in the city. And if you were to give someone as a sort of London insider, if you were to give someone five five best things to do with your summer in London, over eighteen, I'll say as well, oh, and then I'll and then yeah. I'll challenge you <laughs> under eighteen afterwards. <laughs> So summer, summer activities. Top top five top things five. to do in London. God, you're gonna blow up my spots. Because <laughs> um, the majority of it's got to be swimming, man. I just love to swim. Um, I love finding a cool swim spot and and going there. Um, so in London, you've got some good swim spots. Um, Hampstead Heath is a good one, obviously. We've spoken about that. You've got. Um, there's a cool swim spot down by the docks. This is my spot, man. I'm going to blow this up. I can't believe can't I'm doing gatekeep. this. You can't gatekeep. Um, literally, literally. Okay, fine. So, yeah, down by the Royal uh, Docks in the XL Centre, there's a cool swim spot. And it's um, they test the water. They've got a swim club and everything. But it's just a dock, you know. You're technically not meant to swim, but everyone's swimming. So just go in. It's fine. Nice. Um, yeah, swim spots. There's uh, near me actually in Hackney. There's um, Hackney baths, which have got saunas and ice baths, and and that's oh really. Fun. So yeah, you get back. What like a like a Roman bath sort of thing, or like it's meant to be that kind of attitude, but it's um, it's a bit more modern than that. It's it's literally just like a an old industrial yard, and they've put some saunas, and uh, it's quite nice. Really, it's like a community garden almost. Um, and yeah, just going out. Literally, if you're in London. Um, summer yeah parks barbecues in the park there's a couple of parks where you can go to the barbecue you've got hackney marshes you've got um there's loads of riverside pubs that you can just sit and watch the world go by it's there's endless things to do you're, you're never bored yeah i went to um yeah. king's cross there was an outside cinema it was one of the everyman setups and that was really nice down at the river there yeah, yeah. that was a pretty They've good put spot. a lot of money into that yeah yeah they have it's, it's still going in i think <laughs> there's, there's still more going yeah. In. oh yeah Good spots, good spots. But swimming's yeah, your, your so top number one for London. Swimming in the summer, definitely. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have, um, you know, motorcycles in my life and also skateboarding, which I've done since I was very young. And those two things lend themselves to having a group of people who are quite active and want to go out and do stuff. But even if, you, you know, you find a little group and, or even if you're on your own, just go out. It's not it's crazy if you just go out in the summer just going to central london you're not gonna have it's not really boring yeah that's true it's gonna be i i think i so i've been in london now about a year and a half 
and i've like hit yeah. that hit that mark where i'm like going in central and it's busy and i'm like oh my god people are walking so slow like <laughs> yeah. i can't deal with this finally, you, you're becoming a Londoner. i finally hit that mark <laughs> you know before i remember everyone saying to me it's like oh you're gonna get so fed up with people i was like no no i never never no. but now i'm like oh my god people taking pictures on no. bridges i'm like oh it's just walk <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I'm awful. yeah it's true it's true you've become a Londoner. you've embraced the culture it happens you, um, too quickly when you go back yeah, when you go back home to Norfolk, do you still say hello to people in the street? Uh, do you know what? In my village, <laughs> in my village, yes, 100%. Because yeah. it's so rare to see anyone. Um, I can yeah. remember I went back last Christmas and uh, like I just went for a walk. Um, and I must have walked for maybe three or four miles or something and didn't see anyone. Mm. And I was like, really? this, it was it's kind of spooky. It feels like a bit like a ghost town. It's not. It's the same uh-huh. population it's always been. But it's just, compared to where I am now, like yeah. being able to go for a a half hour hour walk and not see a single person is just strange mm. it seems odd yeah but yeah i'm still polite when, when you I do go see back. Him, <laughs> yeah yeah you say hello okay so fair morning enough. evening afternoon all of those things yeah gotta be polite. that's such a big difference i'm born and raised in london so you know you don't say hello to anyone why would you say hello to them yeah. leave them alone <laughs> it is. I've, I've, i have business. got london etiquette though it's but i'm able to differentiate <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I'm, it's good it's yeah good. good keep it separated so let's cover a little bit more about your sort of day-to-day with uh, Roadrun at the moment then. How is how is it yeah. going as, as the business? I know you've obviously been running for is it a year, just over a year now you've been telling me. Well, the business, yeah, has been formally set up for about a year. Honestly, it's very similar to how it was when I was just a freelancer doing it on my own. Mm-hmm. But the fortunate thing is now if, more, if I get more work in, I'm able to give the work to other people as well and get more people working. Um, and you know and i guess that's the uh that's the main difference is that if a job comes in that i couldn't do previously i would just go sorry not available mm. whereas now it's a bit of a mad scramble to make to you know find one of my freelancers available and make sure the bike's ready for them to ride and i guess that's it yeah that's a big difference so you're finding that most of your most of your days are spent sort of on the phone between people or a lot of the time is it uh is it out and about no Honestly, the the time from um, from being getting an email like an inquiry to actually finding someone to do it isn't that long, really. Mm. It's just quite nice. No, I really don't spend a lot of time on the phone. Like, I'm fortunate enough where the business doesn't take up loads of my time. Um, I'm able to set that, uh, you know, the boundary of time and you know work life and life life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The work life balance has um, sorted itself out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm quite fortunate. It's not one of those businesses yet. Perhaps one day, hopefully, um, where the phone's just ringing off the hook. Mm. Um, as I can imagine, for some people, it, it has been. But definitely right now, with all the strikes and all the, you know, all the holidays that everyone's on, my phone's very uh, tame at the moment. So that's fine. It suits me quite well, actually. Yeah, that's quite nice, especially this time of year, definitely. So let's talk a little bit actually about the business then uh, and sort of how it came to be and, um, you know, every, everything getting up to this, getting up to this point. So obviously Roadrun, mm. if, if you wanted to just sort of cover what Roadrun is. Yeah, well, Roadrun has essentially become a bit of a diary service um, and that's sort of how I've been running it, um, even if I am the main uh, you know, person that the diary service gives work to at the <laughs> yeah. moment in the quiet periods um but yeah when it when it is busier it's it's running as a diary service i've got production companies who who understand that who have like urgent 
needs, urgent runs that they need doing, rushes, runs, um, literally anything. Just that, and then the, the client is quite, I don't want to say demanding, but they, there's a certain type of, you know, urgency to their request. And so the motorcycle is just a, it's just a no brainer really. So to offer motorcycles and experienced runners to these companies, they've been, you know, it's been very well received. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's basically the, the outline of the company is you, you got something urgent and you don't want to send a runner in a car. Well, we've got experienced runners with motorcycles ready to go. Perfect. So let's talk a little bit how it came to be then. So what, what gave the idea and, and how did this all sort of start up? Um, well, before I was just sort of, you know, doing the odd runner job, runner driver who's, uh, and I was specializing in the last minute jobs, you know, having that empty calendar, but just being available to anyone and constantly scanning Instagram and Facebook and all of those pages for people who need work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and I'm pretty sure, I can't remember if I knew her before or not. Anyway, it was my friend, my now friend, Sophie Walsh, who uh, works for a creative agency called uh, Industry Art. And they represent, you know, photographers and movement coaches. And um, and yeah, she had a some kind of advert going on for Sky. And she asked for, does anyone have a motorcycle? And I said, well, I have a motorcycle, thinking she wanted it for, you know, shoot, maybe to take photos of the mm. bike or... And then she's like, well, really, we've got a unit base here in Angel and we've got the shoot location, which is also an Angel, but they're about 10 minutes away and there's going to be things constantly going back and forth. We just need someone to have a motorcycle and take them back and forth. So she really gets full credit. Um, She's basically invented the role. And if she wasn't fully employed by Industry Art, she would be running the company with me. She'd, um, you know, when when I first when I did that first day and it went so well, we were like, oh my God, we've got something here. This is really, why isn't this a thing? How is there no one doing this? So I sort of started the company with the intention of having her on board. Um, but in the end, she's just, you know, she's got she's got a long-term job. She's been there for ages. She loves it. And so good for her to yeah, crack definitely. on with that. And one day I'll poach her maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what I said to you. Like it when you were first telling me about it, like it's, <laughs> It seems something so simple and I've done uh, I run a driver role and it is a case of like you're stuck in traffic a hell of a lot of the time, especially when you're on shoots around the outskirts of London and you need to get stuff to the edit or production, which is in the centre of London. Like you just, you spend most of your time sitting in traffic. Um, so to have a mm-hmm. bike and to, and to you know, sort of utilise that ability to weave through the traffic and, and kind of cut out that time, it just seems so straightforward. It, it makes a lot of sense. Do you find though mm-hmm. that um, the productions you're working on are more large scale then, or is it? Do you find that you still get people come from a smaller production? Uh, the 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 way the the way the company's running now, yes, they are definitely larger scale. They are high end fashion commercials, mm-hmm. and that tends to be the 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 vast majority of the clients that I have and the production companies that use me um but early on i think it was you know really mid-level 
production companies and creative agencies who yeah they uh they'd heard about it and they they enjoyed the concept and they wanted to give it a go and you know they kept using it that's brilliant um so yeah. i'm assuming you were you'd been a runner before before starting up uh the business as you say so when mm-hmm. when was it you decided like okay this is this is kind of going to be the way forward did you always see yourself as sort of a business owner hmm um well i used to well if you want to go back into it i used to work in a school that was the uh that's the origin story when i first left school myself i went almost straight into working in a special needs school just as a as an assistant there Mm. earning no money at all but really enjoying it having my summers off dreading going back after (laughs) that four weeks or whatever it is and um yeah similar to you i bet yeah (laughs) um and yeah it was really just uh, a friend of mine who worked for locations department um got me on the job one summer basically when i had the whole summer off and was like yeah i can get you on bit of nepotism nice goes a long way it does it's the only Um, way i think yeah yeah It's, it's sad but it's true yeah um so yeah, locations department for an Amazon TV show called The Peripheral, which nice, you know, pretty sure my NDA allows me to tell you that. Right <laughs> <time>. <laughs> yeah, and that was you know locations department just locking off basically of uh, streets, and we locked off Trafalgar Square so some motorbikes can ride around it, and a Rolls Royce, and we were locking off streets because they had a helicopter, um, you know, shooting from the sky basically right. to follow this futuristic Rolls Royce and it was meant to be London at night in the future with no one around so we had to stop people from going onto these streets while we were filming well I'd imagine that's just um, quite frustrating for <laughs> talking a little bit about sort of the uh the London sort of manner I bet that was quite frustrating oh man yeah and quite tough actually talk about a hard role. job man yeah. location marshal in London you get hats off to you you're telling Londoners that they can't walk onto a street and you, you don't really have any right to tell them that at all. And they yeah. kind of know it. And, you know, the nice ones go, all right, fine. I'll wait. How long? And you're like, oh, three minutes tops. <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah, it might be more than that. Um, yeah, but that's that's a tough job, man. Locking off Trafalgar Square at midnight and watching these people just like, what? How can you? What? what? Really? Am I not allowed to walk here? And you're like, yeah. You kind of are, but you, you can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I always wondered like how it runs with these things. So I, I do see them shooting around London a fair bit and and other places. Yeah. And I, I'm like, who are they paying? Like, is it just the cameras who go? Yeah, you yeah. can film here. That's fine. But yeah, you really do have that's no literally power. It. Yeah, I mean that's literally it. In terms of you know, you you can close off the street to traffic, um, and you can explain to a pedestrian that they're shooting for an Amazon TV show and if you walk in front of the shot, it's going to ruin the shot. They're going to have to reset it and it's going to be hundreds, you know, Mm. hundreds, thousands of pounds worth of time and effort gone because you can't wait two minutes. If you want to walk, you can walk. That's fine. But I legally can't stop you. Yeah. Please just wait. (laughs) That's literally all you can do. Is it the power of a high vis? Is that what it is? The power of a high vis? It actually is. Yeah. Yeah, because that conversation doesn't happen a lot. A lot of the time, you are in a high vis with a walkie-talkie. Please wait for three minutes, and they're like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. I luckily I've 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 never done any lo- location scout work. Um, mm. but yeah, I've had a few friends that have 
they've said about it and it's a lot of the time they just said it's just ushering people around like kind of like herding sheep yeah, that's really <laughs> like, it yeah it's very similar to the runner role in terms of like you're still in charge of the easy ups and the and the water coolers and you know making sure everyone has everything they need um or at least this production was i don't know if that's how because to be honest that is the only tv show i've ever worked on that was the only tv and that was that one amazon tv show did it put you off but yeah is that, they... <laughs> is that what it was uh, no it's not that it's just um i was fortunate enough to to start getting booked by commercials and mm. and uh, and the budget on commercials is much higher the rate for runners is much higher than a marshal and and yeah it's it's it, it was just perfect timing really because that amazon show sort of wrapped up and and everyone that was on it was happy for a break whereas i was yeah. ready to go on to my next one because i just started and they didn't really have anything as so you say there about being a runner on commercial i think that's a avenue that's maybe not thought about too much or maybe not explored because a lot of people obviously if you're getting into into this kind of industry you want to work on big projects you want to work on amazon disney netflix stuff or or more terrestrial yeah. tv that a lot of people see but actually mm. working on um commercials there's a big budget uh, it's the same kind of production setup would you yeah would you advise it is you, do you think it's a, a good route to follow oh definitely um yeah it's 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 a risk and reward ratio that you've got to you've got to look at yourself and try it. The days are long. Mm. The, um, they're physically quite demanding because you, 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 you're on your feet for 12 hours. You know, it's like, I, I guess it is similar to film and TV, but from my experience, there's a lot more downtime in TV world. And, you know, you can have that opportunity to just take a minute to yourself. And whereas, you know, it's pretty go, it's pretty all go on a, on a high budget commercial everyone's getting paid quite well and the client wants to see that their money is being used correctly and so there's always someone who's uh, got their eye on the team to make sure they look busy and i assume it's a lot shorter shoots as well so you're, there's more sort of frequent stuff coming through you know your shoot, yeah, shoot exactly. might only last a day or two days yeah exactly and that's that's a big um i'd say that's a big psychological benefit to that industry because if you're working on a tv show and it's going on and on and on for months and months you can leave and another team will replace you mm. and then you, you come back and it's still going it's like you're not really you know you don't really feel that sense of um closure but if you're on a commercial you show up and it's an empty studio you set everything up you watch them shoot it you pack down it's done there's that's closure you know that's I think that the the brain enjoys that kind of, um, you know, seeing a project from start to finish. So, Mine does anyway. Oh, brain I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit about, if we can, some of the commercials and stuff that you've worked on then. What have, what have been some of the sort of projects you're most proud of or the ones that you're really happy to be a part of? Um, well, I guess so. That very first one with Sophie with Industry Art was for Sky. Um, it was just an advert for Sky VIP, mm -hmm. but it was um, it was Idris Elba walking on a red carpet and with a couple of normal everyday humans who I guess were the VIPs. Nice. Um, the most memorable moment from that was I, that was my first time using a motorcycle for this kind of application. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam, can you come to Idris's wardrobe? Uh, you need to 
transfer you need to take his candle so i turn up to basically unit base where just is getting ready to go to set <laughs> producer hands me a candle which had just been blown out so a wet candle and said this candle needs to get to the shoot location before idris does and idris elba walks basically between us through the door gets into a car I'm stood there in my motorcycle helmet with a wet candle watching him drive away <laughs> and the unit base is like three minutes down the road. So <laughs> I'm basically blowing on this wet candle trying to get it to set enough <laughs> so I could pop it in my pocket and just ride off. But, you know, it's still, even with me waiting to get a candle, it's still got still got to the shoot location before Idris <laughs> did. So that in my head, for some proof reason, of concept. When, you, when you said, oh, you had to go and get Idris's candle, I was like thinking, oh, this must be like a terminology for something like important. I didn't think it was an actual candle. What kind of... No, 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 a literal candle. And you always wonder whether these requests are... Um, so, yeah, I'm saying this like it's normal. Yeah. You've, what you've just said is that people on commercial have not have never experienced the commercial world before and the kind of demands that the fashion industry and the commercial industry has. So was it there his are... candle he needed? Like he needed that candle to help him or? Yeah. Right. Okay. Or they just wanted like as a far specific as I understand it. Set, like... So obviously with the, when you have talent, they have a rider mm. and they have certain requests. And you never know whether the requests are from the talent or from the people who represent the talent. But it doesn't matter. You just do it. Yeah. And this is one of those things where someone in Idris's team thinks that Idris needs this candle to get through his this day. This specific candle, by the way, which a runner got sent out on like for hours and hours trying to find enough of these candles. And I suggested next time just buy two candles because then you could have one at the <laughs> yeah. and one at the shoot location. Oh. And they're like, shut up, shut up. Um, but yeah, this honestly, this this world of commercials, like, you get some very strange requests from very demanding. Well, you know, yeah, I've been told had... not to say demanding clients before, so now I'm trying to internalize <laughs> that. But it's what they are; they are demanding clients. It, it's just the truth. Of it. It's the it's the luxuries of being talent, I guess. I had one. I had one more yeah. recently um, where the rider came through. And like, I don't need to say what shirt it was because everyone knows. I think if they've listened to this podcast, they know what show I worked on. But we only normally work with like small snacks and stuff. We don't do meals. We don't do anything like that because the shoots aren't that long. And um, so we normally just, you mm -hmm. know, coffees and, you know, nibbles. And uh, the rider came through for this for this one person. And it was like smoked salmon and like, like recipe stuff <laughs> and like all of these different yeah. things. And I was like, oh, like different bottles of champagne. And I was like, okay, this is mm -hmm. pretty lavish. It was probably one of the most like um it, it was it was a big star to be honest and i won't say mm. who it was though um because I, I loved him <laughs> dearly um and i was like this is this this is insane like there's no way that i'm supposed to get all of this stuff but it was on my call sheet so i was like right i'll, I'll, oh, I'll you do are. it because i yeah. i know at the end of the day if it doesn't get eaten i get it so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there we i go. picked up all the salmon and everything like this anyway turned up had all this stuff in the in the fridge and was like okay i'm gonna prep this so i i was speaking to his his uh his manager or publicist whoever it was and i was like I, i'm right please forgive me i was like but this rider is like the most extravagant rider i've had out of any of the steps i've worked with i was like how did you want me to prep this like uh, you know 
And he was like, oh, he was like, oh, no, no, no. He's like, they're just copy and pasted. Like if we're going somewhere where they're going to make a meal for us. He was like, no, we don't, you know, oh, we don't need any of that mate. stuff. So this, I had this Classic. fridge. Yeah. So I was like, he was like, how much of it did you get? I was like, everything. <laughs> it was like a, yeah, was well, like a full recipe there. sheet. Yeah. So I guess that is my, um, my, my words of wisdom to anyone who hasn't worked on a commercial is if that's the most extravagant rider you've ever seen working in TV, that's just every single day for every person who's ever been on a commercial is is really lavish requests. But the biggest sort, the biggest one that I did first, the first big job that I had was for Gucci. And if you look up Gucci Stanley Kubrick, you'll see um, what that was. It was a massive, massive project, millions of pounds budget. Wow. Short in London, um, they re shot in london shot in um big island studios black island black island not big island big sky black island um yeah black island studios shout out to black island studios um yeah so literally millions of pound budget they re they recreated famous scenes from stanley kubrick films so you had the shining the hotel like they they recreated the set perfectly like the storeroom um you know, they had the milk bar from uh, <laughs> from Clockwork Orange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they had the car that drove that. Like, they reenacted perfectly, like, to, to the, you know, like, side by side, perfect. And then they would just stick a model in Gucci clothes wow. just in the scene, just randomly. And that was their campaign, man. It was like... It was massive project. I'm actually quite surprised how much five... money there is then in commercial. Oh, it's the way I would, the way I imagine it to be so, and I don't know this to be true. I think the budget for TV and film and commercials are all quite similar, but I feel like the the money gets spent on different things, um, and I can imagine that in TV you have your budget, sure. But you're making this product which you don't know whether people want yet. Mm. Or you're making a film and you don't know how it's going to do in the box office or on, on the streaming site. Like you don't know the success of the product yet. Whereas with Gucci, you know the success of the product. You know that basically they, they, they're using money that they've already made from previous products. Right, and I so see. That, so the budget's already there. Whereas it's a more speculative budget on tv that's how i feel anyway that that's how i make sense no, that makes a lot of sense um, actually you're right you know it's it's a yeah try tested and proven product and uh yeah you, you kind of know your audience you kind of know you know yeah and advertising does yeah, work yeah. incredibly well oh definitely definitely so anyone listening look up stanley kubrick gucci because that was probably the most that was probably the largest scale um yeah larger scale production that i've been on in terms of just like it went on and on for five weeks you know oh jesus long five weeks long yes um and it, they were long days and everyone was very tired and um yeah but you know very memorable times. so you're saying obviously about the, about the bikes and everything. What are the challenges that you face? Because you know, if there is those bigger objects and things, how do you guys overcome that? Um, well, most of the time, you know the dimensions of what you're picking up, and and I've 
been quite selective in the bikes that I've got for the job, which is that they've got two boxes either side of the bike, which you can put on stuff, but that creates a bit of a shelf on the back of the bike. Okay. Um, so yeah, if you if you could imagine a motorcycle at the back are two boxes, but the top of the boxes are in line with the top of the bike, and that just creates a, a nice even rear section that you could place a large box or a suitcase on top, and you can strap that down very safely. And you, you know, on my Instagram, I like to show all of the fun and large objects which we have managed to transport. Yeah, that sounds and, like it's you appealing. Know. To be honest, I used to ride around on a little Vespa, yeah. and I love to try and get anything I could on that. It's uh oh yeah 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 um we're not quite um taking it up to the levels that you see on instagram especially like you know you see those instagram pages of people in like in india and they've got oh, four kids and three and goats on yeah. The back of the... <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so we're not quite there but you know but yeah we deal with quite urgent requests and it's very rare that large items are urgent yeah and that's been something quite fortunate um yeah, it's quite rare that a very large item is get, is forgotten or last minute. And if it is, then, you know, it is what it is. You send a van, you send a car. But for, for the majority of things you need last minute and urgently, it's, it's yeah, it's very doable to on a, take on a bike. Yeah. And especially rushes as well. Rushes are really compact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so not a problem. Yeah. But um, let's talk a little bit about no, the no. bikes then. So tell me about sort of when you started riding, how sort of bikes came into your life. Uh, well, I was good friends with um, a guy called Yusuf. Still friends with him. He's currently sailing a boat around the UK. He's just done gone all the way around. Uh, he's over the top of Scotland. Now he's in North Island. Um, yeah, he's he's fascinating person who I met when I was you know pretty young, like I was eighteen. I met him, and he was uh, working security at a bar that we used to go to in Peckham Bar Story. Mm-hmm. Um, Peckham Springs and he worked security there he used to be a boxer uh, he stopped because he got a detached retina or something crazy oh like that God. and then I find out that actually no he's got a PhD in neurobiology and neurochemistry and you know it's just one of those people that the more you dig the more like interesting stuff you find out yeah. about him so Dr. Yusuf um, still a good friend but he's bought a sailboat and he's uh, sailing around the UK now um, but he had a motorcycle and it broke and he was like, right, we're going to take it apart. And I was like, yes, please. I'm, I'm there. So we'd go to his little lockup in in Brixton and take apart this motorcycle bit by bit. And he was meticulous and bagged every single component component in Ziploc bags and like wrote down the process. So he knew how to put it back together. And yeah, one day we've, you know, we took out the issue, fixed the issue. I can't even remember what it was now, but it was, um, extensive <laughs> yeah, yeah. we got the bike back together and it worked and he took me out and taught me how to ride it and you just get hooked you, you get hooked very quickly i don't know for anyone listening who hasn't been on a motorcycle you get hooked yeah so how old were you at this point uh 18 i say okay and you'd never yeah. thought about riding a bike or anything before that not really i was more into cars growing up i really love you know i like cars and sports cars and old vintage cars were just my thing um my brother really liked motorcycles but i never had much interest in them yeah and yeah it was only it was only getting on it and riding it one it honestly it's so addictive (laughs) thrilling and if you don't have any plans on riding a motorcycle for the rest of your life don't do it the first time 
because yeah it's quite quite a life-changing thing so how long was it after that you then bought a bike or did your cbt and then oh a week yeah <laughs> maybe a week two weeks i don't know quick turn yeah back. i was gone yeah literally i was like yeah this is yeah yeah i guess it's easier yeah. easier storage as well with a bike isn't it so around london and stuff it's not too bad and cheaper yeah, exactly. so much cheaper so much cheaper like i loved cars i love vintage cars but just the price difference is crazy you know? oh yeah 100 percent as you know storage, even for the everything. lessons you know oh yeah even for the lessons it's like thousands of pounds now to get your lessons because you have to do weeks and weeks and weeks of training and then you can just go to a test center and get your cbt done in one afternoon mm. it costs 120 quid now is that how much that's it is, it, you're riding yeah yeah so what is it that you uh you use for, for road run then what are the bikes what's the what's the kind of spec that you're you've got for your riders um so we've currently got uh, for the full bike license, we've got Royal Enfield Himalayans, mm-hmm. and they're very, you know, they're just blacked out, utilitarian, like, they look great, um, with boxes, and, you know, and they're not, they're not super expensive, you can get a new one for, like, four grand or something, mm. it's really, really, you know, quite accessible, and then for the 125s, we've got Honda Varaderos, which are the, um, they're the largest 125s that, that are made really and that was just sort of to keep we were i've got this thing where i want it to look the image is quite important Mm. to me especially in this industry and so we did we want it to be separate from like couriers or delivery bikes you want you know so this these one two fives they're large they're black it's you know they look great they look like a big bike but they're a one two five basically and these are available for all of your riders. So when you're getting new people come on board, it's like depending on their skill level is what bike they get. But you have sort of a catalogue of bikes ready for your riders to take out. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's all done on availability. And, you know, just because you've got a full license, you can still ride the 125. It's still, you know, it's still a fun bike to ride. Um, no complaint. Well, a couple of complaints, but not serious ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I like I enjoy riding the one two fives. They're fun. Yeah, it's it's important to me that time. So it's definitely. So let's talk a little bit about the sort of the setup then, and and how you guys sort of run everything. One of the things I see quite a lot now on the Facebook pages, on Instagram, and, and things like this is a lot of older people now coming in and saying, "I want to come into this industry. Um, am I too old to be a runner?" Essentially, and I guess mm. with something like what you have. And people who have those full licenses, you are going to be older because you you have to be to be able to obtain it. You're able to mm. offer them that kind of experience as a runner in something that's a little bit more. Um, I don't know what the word would be, um, but you know, just give them give them that opportunity basically because you need to have that older person in for that kind of spec bike. Yeah, when you're talking about older people, what kind of age are you talking about? Uh, well, it's it's a you're big gonna... range, but. A lot, of the, a, lot of the, a lot of the stuff, yeah, <laughs> I guess a little bit. Um, a lot of the stuff I see is sort of 30 up to the age of like 50 sometimes even. People saying they now, yeah, they yeah. now want to come into the industry. And obviously everyone uh-huh. knows to, to get in, you, you can't just wander in and say, I'm going to be a producer. <laughs> you know, you have to start yeah. running. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's, you know, having having a bike license is potentially something that they will have or be able to obtain a bit easier. Yeah, Do you think yeah, for sure. you are well, I, an easy, uh, I say an easier, but a, a stronger route for someone like that to come into the industry using you? I mean, me, sure. But to be honest, it's just 
I'm just an example of what I would describe as finding a niche within the industry. Just find a niche. There are so many vehicle applications within this industry. If you're over 25, you have an advantage because all of the um, insurance policies for rental vehicles, you need to be 25 and over to ride it, mm. to drive it. So, yeah, it's really, it's, it's, a, it's a benefit if you are, if you're at 25 and above in a runner position for a lot of application. So yeah, I just describe it as finding the niche. And if you have a motorbike license, get in contact hundred percent because uh, the, the plan is to grow this, you know, to, to, to have enough work for anyone who ever asks for it. That would be great. And, um, and how is the, how but, is the best way for people to, to reach out to you then if they're, if they're interested or they're thinking like, okay, maybe it's worth that. 120 quid to get my cbt and and use this avenue do you think it's a oh for you know, sure what's yeah. the best way to get to get in touch with you then um well, through instagram through my website so instagram is roadrun official um the website's www.roadrun.co.uk it's got all my email on there it's got it's got the instagram on there so the website's probably the best way to be honest um but yeah i mean in terms of an initial investment CBT is nothing really for 120 quid. Mm. It's it's a no brainer, you know. I could like yeah, we talk about how you see the company in the dream, and the dream is to have so much work that I'm literally paying for people to get their CBTs done. Yeah, if I know yeah. that they're they're runners who have experience and they're keen and and you know why not? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up here then because we've been going for for a while there and yeah. uh and i feel like i've covered everything that we that we needed to mm-hmm. and it's been it's been lovely speaking to you and um hearing more about it and sort of your experiences in the industry as well um yeah. to hear what it's like to work on that commercial side something that i'm i'm not familiar with is, is really nice so mm-hmm. uh so thank you for giving that insight well, no i appreciate i appreciate the opportunity thank you for taking the plunge and doing a podcast <laughs> and yeah we spoke on the phone before about it it's, it's really it's good fun well thank you very much um i really appreciate no it. no worries it's been an absolute really pleasure having you on and uh, i will be spreading the word about roadrun well i hope you enjoyed that thanks very much for listening and um please join again soon